For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. New Mexico's Attorney General Hector Balderas called on the New Mexico Fish and Game Commission to immediately strengthen its regulations to address waterway access in compliance with state law. As we have reported numerous times here on the Week in Review, the New Mexico State Constitution says that New Mexico's waterways belong to the people of New Mexico. Specifically, and I'm quoting here, unappropriated water of every natural stream, perennial or torrential, within the state of New Mexico is hereby declared to belong to the public and to be subject to appropriation for beneficial use. Despite that very specific language in the New Mexico State Constitution in 2015, and this was counter to serious public outcry, a rule passed through the New Mexico House to add the additional language of non-navigable waters. And then, two years ago, the previous Fish and Game Commission passed a rule that would allow landowners to petition to have waters that ran through their property deemed non-navigable and therefore non-public, non-walkable, non-fishable, non-floatable, non-publicly enjoyable. Uh, You get it, and I'm paraphrasing this whole thing because I've hit this topic like three times on the weekend review. As someone who uses waterways as a legal means of access to lots of land in this country, I need to remind you that this is not just an issue of keeping people from fishing or floating through a stretch of water This could potentially deny access to everyone, not just New Mexicans, to state and federal lands, of which 554,000 acres are currently landlocked and blocked from public use in New Mexico already. 
Senators Udall, Heinrich, and State Rep. Deb Haland sent a letter earlier this month to New Mexico State Game Commission Chairwoman Prukup thanking the Game Commission for a moratorium the Commission placed on the non-navigable water rule and further encouraging the Commission to reassert the rights of New Mexico citizens to access our public lands, rivers, and streams. If you like to hunt, fish, and explore, that's the kind of politicking we like to see. Typically, when we lose access, we never get a chance to get it back. It seems that in this case, in New Mexico, we have a chance to tread back up the slippery slope of access loss to public lands and waters. So, you know the drill. If you currently recreate in, or you dream of going to the land of enchantment, someday, to fish, hunt, eat amazing New Mexican food, look at the stars, or maybe go down to the lightning fields. Call the office of the governor, Michelle Lujan, and tell her or her staff as much that there is no point to go to the state where that natural beauty, us outdoorsy folks who are willing to spend our time and money to go see is, you know, non-navigable, so to speak. This week, we've got deer tuberculosis, first-time hunters, fur bands, sea urchins, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you that this podcast is powered by Steel Power Equipment. They make all sorts of good stuff from hand shears that I keep in my truck and use to break down game birds like turkeys and pheasants to ripping little chainsaws that make buttery smooth cuts, which is actually really important to me. Now, about my week. Every year, I try to take out a first-time hunter. It may be surprising, but we actually have a lot of folks in the meat-eater office that have not hunted before. If you fancy yourself a hunter of any stripe, you need to consider taking out a first-timer. Will it diminish your personal success in notching your tag on a bull or a buck? Well, quite possibly. But who cares? An already successful hunter having another successful hunt, you know, I've heard that story. Anyway... As I've been doing this for a long time, I thought I would share a few thoughts of mine own on the subject of teaching and taking a first-time hunter out in the field. One, do not utter the phrase, I got them their first deer, or first fish, or whatever. If that is your attitude, you are doing it wrong, and you may need to wait another season to be a mentor. The point of this whole thing is to facilitate the first-time hunter getting their own animal their own successes and failures for that matter. You are just facilitating those little peaks and valleys as well as ensuring that these experiences happen safely. The goal is of course an animal in the case of hunting, but it is also more than that. It is to lay the foundation for the first timer to be able to build toward hunting on their own. So set goals to help them do this thing you love on their own Goals like finding animals, sneaking over ridges, wind control, best times of day, what is happening at the given time of year, animal behavior, and be clear about what you know and what you just presume to know. What you carry in your pack or pockets or have in the truck and why and why not. And it's important to keep asking yourself along the way, is this repeatable? Is the first timer going to be able to repeat this on their own? In order to do this, make sure that the type of hunt allows for open communication. You need, as the mentor, to be providing an experience where questions can be asked and answered at any time. The mentor needs stacks of patience and the ability to follow through. A mentor is signing up to be a trusted resource for a long time. 
Do not underestimate the amount of knowledge it takes to be confident and safe around firearms and confident and safe in the outdoors. Limit the input into digestible and retainable chunks of information. I firmly believe and strongly recommend one-on-one mentorship as the one-on-one scenario is the best for clear, direct communication. And finally, you're dealing with life and death. Take this seriously. Acknowledge the fun, the greatness of the outdoors, but at the end of the day, a round that shouldn't have been chambered, a stick on a trigger, plus poor barrel control or awareness, and the experience alters lives forever. It's serious stuff. I'll tell you one screw-up I made this past week. I put us in a situation where the first-timer was not able to fully participate in field dressing and field butchering of the deer. Yes, there were extenuating circumstances. Not only was it the last day of the hunt, but it was potentially the last day of the hunting season for the hunter. That knowledge of the last day stacked on top of all the successes and failures that we'd had to that point led me to kind of put us in this position of being too far from the truck, too close to dark, impending wet, cold sleet storm coming in. And, you know, that's my big regret. Lots of learning on all sides, which is so fulfilling for, you know, the first timer and the mentor. There's a great shot under pressure, all sorts of wins, but cutting open your first animal is so pivotal. It's hard to say, but I wish I could get a do-over on that part. So again, as a mentor, you need to pick a spot that allows you to provide the whole learning enchilada, and I failed at that. I would love to tell you about the whole story, but that's her story, not mine. All I can tell you is what I just did. I will tell you one more thing. The mule deer buck that this first timer killed had actually been shot the year previous, as near as I could tell anyway. A high shot, the bullet passed through the top of the back above the spine. When I was parting up the buck, there was a hole through those tall fin bones kind of on your cervical to thoracic vertebrae there above the spine, creating a hole about the size of a 50 cent piece. The buck moved fine, had no visible signs of injury. He was chasing the ladies around, just looked like any old healthy deer. So if anyone out there was agonizing over a buck shot high in eastern Montana uh, last year, he made it until this year. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it 
to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on. I think everyone is aware that the state of California has officially banned the production and sale of furs effective January 1, 2023. As previously reported here on the Week in Review, in order to trap animals, a prospective trapper must buy a license. Those license fees help pay for wildlife habitat and management, which the effects of this ban, you know, that will be felt, especially as the burden to trap is placed solely on the state of California and U.S. Fish and Wildlife, which means we'll all be paying for it. Another interesting economic impact to consider is the fact that much of the fur in use is actually farmed. Mink farmers, for instance, raise the small weasels for their pelts. Wisconsin happens to be the mink-producing capital of the U.S. Bet you didn't know that. And bands of fur could kill the mink farmer's way of life. Mink farmers, according to Wisconsin Public Radio, aren't concerned necessarily with a warm-weather state like California, but they are concerned that if animal rights activists can shut down fur, then they will be able to shut down anything related to animal goods piece by piece. The thought of raising an animal just for the fur, I'll admit, to me isn't that appealing. But is it that different than raising animals just for the meat? We do have uses for just about everything that comes off a chicken or a hog or a beef, but the bulk of what I'm typically in it for is the meat, as I sit on a leather couch and tell you this. It's a complex issue, but I don't think it matters to the animal, and I like my meats and my leather goods and whatnot. On top of that, I look forward to one of my pal Stephen Rinella's famous beaver pelt hats just in time for ice fishing season. Uh, One thing I do know is a good friend of mine, one of my mentors actually, put himself through college by supplying jackrabbits to a mink farm outside of Greeley, Colorado. He had himself a pretty good gig going as jackrabbit populations operate on a boom-bust cycle. As in they go from lean years of very, very few rabbits to ultra-fat years of way too many. And this friend of mine happened to be going to the University of Northern Colorado when the land was booming with jacks. He would drive all night collecting jackrabbits, then drop them off in the morning to the mink farmer and head to class. Everything went well until it was discovered that the mink farmer had also been selling the would-be mink food to the university food service. Once that news broke, my friend was out of a job. I had always wondered what would have happened if he could have cut the farmer out of the deal. On to the health desk. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is warning that deer-carrying tuberculosis can transmit TB to humans. 
A 77-year-old hunter who had no exposure to people or countries with TB was diagnosed with the disease in 2017. The hunter had been exposed to Mycobacterium bovis, which can be found in deer, bison, elk, and cattle. This bacteria can cause TB when spread to humans, and it was likely inhaled during the process of gutting an infected deer. According to Purdue University, the clinical signs of bovine TB recognizable to hunters would be small to large white, tan, or yellow lesions, kind of look like big pustules on the lungs, rib cage, or in the chest cavity. But lesions are not always visible or present. Bovine TB makes up less than 2% of tuberculosis cases in the U.S., and prior to this Michigan case, there had only been one confirmed deer-to-human transmission. In that case, it was thought that the hunter had an open wound when field-dressing the infected animal. Bovine TB has economic effects on state's cattle industry, and due to the white-tailed deer's ability to move freely from pasture to pasture while potentially carrying the communicable disease from cattle herd to cattle herd, either through direct contact or shared feeding, could have serious repercussions as the USDA labels states TB-free. Purdue University suggests that eliminating baiting and supplemental feeding of wildlife is a necessary step in stopping bovine TB Michigan. It is obviously going to be hard to detect bovine TB if lesions are not visible, but it could be a good idea to wear gloves. I recommend the 3mm painter's latex gloves, uh, not like the food-specific latex gloves for field dressing. I also call them like my serial killer gloves because, you know, that uh, series uh, Dexter, I think that's what he's wearing. And if you're aware of bovine TB being present in the area that you hunt, you may want to take the extra precaution of wearing a face mask. Bovine TB is curable in humans, although the treatment includes a possible 12 months of antibiotics. And on top of that, we all remember Val Kilmer's character of Doc Holliday, who was infected with tuberculosis in the epic western tombstone. Johnny Ringo calls him a lunger. Nobody wants that. I'm your huckleberry. Good news coming out of the House. The North American Wetlands Conservation Extension Act passed through the House Natural Resources Committee. This would reauthorize the program up to $60 million annually through 2024. The Wetlands Conservation Extension Act provides matching funds for wetlands habitat that have been used in all 50 states, granting more than $1.73 billion since 1989. That's $3.57 billion, counting the matching funds. This is a great deal if you're into things like clean water or tasty things like fat mallard ducks. <laughs> so once again, call your congressmen and women and tell them to see the North American Wetlands Conservation Act or H.R. 925 through the Senate. And don't forget to thank those folks on the House Natural Resources Committee and let them know that they have a lot more work to do as well. The repeal of Clean Water Act protections for intermittent streams and wetlands makes acts like this one that much more critical. And buy your dang duck stamp. Apparently, we're moving on here, it has been very tough to find purebred alpine dingoes. Dingoes are a wild dog, and they appear in the fossil record only to about 3,500 years ago. The first European accounts of dingoes in Australia include them living seemingly with their aborigines. Not necessarily as pets or companions, but as mutualistic campers. Of the three species of dingoes in Australia, the alpine dingo is the most rare and is currently in danger of extinction. 
So it was pretty surprising when a 100% genetically pure alpine dingo apparently fell from the sky. Or that's the theory anyway. A stray puppy suddenly appeared in a backyard in Wandilagong, a town in the Australian state of Victoria, with what appeared to be claw marks on its back. The puppy, at first thought to be a stray dog, was eventually taken to a local vet and apparently DNA tested. One of the main threats to the existence of alpine dingoes is interbreeding with domestic dogs. Apparently it is rare to find dingoes of any kind that don't have domestic dog DNA. Although life in the wild, I am sure, is preferable to any animal, this male dingo, who escaped the talons of a raptor, survived some sort of a fall, will apparently land safely in the alpine dingo breeding program. Which, you know, if you're going to be captive, that can't be the worst situation to be in. Moving over to the California desk. The purple sea urchin is proliferating at an alarming rate. This is not your typical uni sea urchin, as they tend to be less meaty, but I'll get to that in a minute. Purple sea urchins thrive on bull kelp, which is one of the fastest growing plants on earth, but the kelp is being decimated by the seemingly faster growing urchins. Quick side note, bull kelp is really tasty stuff. One Matt Ranella pickled the stalks of the bull kelp, and we used it like you would pickles in tuna salad, except for it was salmon, but anyway, it was great. I always thought that the bull kelp, which uh, has this big hollow light bulb type end to the stalk, would win over some friends if you pickled that bulb in its entirety and used it as the vessel for like a seafood dip or a Caesar or a Bloody Mary. But you may never get the chance to steal my idea if we can't figure out purple sea urchin. Kelp forests of all types support a huge swath of biological diversity with the loss of nearly 90% of California's bull kelp along 217 miles of coast. Many other species, including humans, are feeling the hit. Abalone fishermen, for instance, faced a closed season last year. That fishery alone was valued at $44 million. Kelp forests are safety zones for many fish species to hang out in. Your spear fishermen are losing their habitat to hunt. The canopies of the kelp forest block sunlight, creating shade, and they break up wave action, actually somewhat inhibiting the effects of erosion on some coastlines. This is important stuff, is what I'm saying. Don't think this is just a California problem, either. The purple urchins are crawling their way north. One Oregon reef count last year reported 350 million of the spiny invaders, a 10,000% increase since 2014. This scenario is a perfect storm of sorts. Warm waters have inhibited the normal growth of the bull kelp. Sea stars, the purple urchin's natural predator, have mysteriously declined due to an unknown disease, and the purple urchins were off to the races, filling the void. Reports from the Associated Press relay the fact that the purple urchin may be their own enemy, as they are now competing with each other for a very limited food source. But the impact on the ecosystem is becoming severe. Some restaurants have started utilizing this resource, and if I were looking to harvest in those waters, I would too. To be clear, human consumption likely will not have an impact on this urchin. Again, 350 million on one reef. But if you, like so many folks, love the catching part of fishing, the purple urchin fishery may be just the thing for you. Speaking with renowned California chef Joshua Skeins of the three, that's three Michelin star Saison, and his other San Francisco restaurant venture, the Angler Seafood Restaurant, Chef Skein recommends this preparation for the prickly kelp eater. So get your pen and pencil out. Shuck the purple sea urchin. 
serve the meat on the shell on ice. Enjoy. Just about uh, anybody can follow that one. That's all I got for you this week. Hope you've enjoyed Cal's Week in Review. Remember to tell a friend and leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. If you think I screwed up or have missed anything or need to go tell somebody about something else, write in at askcal, A-S-K-C-A-L, at themeateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.